I want to start out today, and, and, and since it's Mother's Day, let's do some momisms, all right? I want to give you some of these statements, and I, if, if you know how the statement ends, I want you just to think about your mom. Think about those sayings you used to hear mom saying. For example, you ever had this one where mom says, I'm not asking, I'm telling. You guys, how many of you, that was your mom? Yeah, some of you were there. Uh, how about this one? Stop crying or... I'll give you something to cry about. How many of you, that was your mom? I had that a number of times growing up. Um, This is a new one that that I think uh, I may have learned from, um, uh, I better not say this out loud, but uh, let's play the quiet game. Yeah, how many of you moms and toddlers are like, yeah, that's mine. Uh, Man, I don't know how many times I heard this growing up, all right? If all, your, if all your friends jumped off a bridge, would you do it too, right? How many of you heard that one growing up? Uh, life isn't fair. Man, that's, a, that's good. That's a good mom wisdom right there. Uh, number six, this one is, is a, it was the way it worked when I in my house. Okay? My mom would be talking to me, and she'd say, look at me when I'm talking to you. And then I'd look at her, and she'd say, don't give me that look. And I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do? Mom! Uh, uh. Uh, number seven, this is a good one. Go ask your father. Classic mom right there. Uh, money doesn't grow on trees. How many of you had your mom always say that? I mean, I remember all these things that mom would say to me in this last one. Uh, it was always, uh, we we're getting ready to do spring cleaning or I'm supposed to go clean my bedroom. My mom would always say this next mom wisdom. And here it is. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Right? Cleanliness is next to godliness. In fact, here at Restoration Church, we've been in a series for the last couple of weeks called Cliché. And these are the kind of the stuff that Christians sometimes say to one another. We're having conversation with somebody. Somebody talks about something and you're like, I've got a little cliche and it'll make you feel better. And these are almost half-truths where maybe there's a, a hint of truth, but they're not true of themselves. And so today, the cliche we're going to be looking at is cleanliness is next to godliness. And I thought, as we start talking about this, I thought, why don't we do this? Why don't we figure out which team everybody is on, Okay. So here's what I'm going to ask you, uh, which team you're on. And when I describe team one, I want you to raise your hand if you're on that team. And if you're not on that team, I'll give you the other team and you raise your hand for the second team, all right? So number one, how many of you are on team clean? Where things have to be organized, things have to be in place, everything has its proper place. How many of you are on team clean, all right? And how many of you, how many of you are on team messy, right? You're comfortable with a little bit of clutter. You know, you just feel safe there. Uh, How many of you would say that your spouse lied when they raised their hand? Any of you? Yeah, we got one couple right here. Uh, That's that's truth. I will say I am a proud card-carrying member of Team Messy. That just happens to be, like, I can spend, and I've done this, I'll spend hours cleaning my garage and getting it all organized, and then I can't find anything. Like, I've got to have it out so I know where stuff is. Like, if you stop by the office uh, during the week and you're like, Kevin, why do you have all this stuff? Because I'm working. I have to have it out so I know where stuff is, so I have access to it all. It drives my wife bonkers. It drives her absolutely crazy. 
In fact, even when I find myself like working outside, I'm doing yard work, like I get my whole body into it. I am covered with mess. There's, there's dirt. There's all over the place. People like me, we are the reasons why mom started carrying hand sanitizer in their purse because of people on Team Messy just like myself. Now, let me just say, as a proud card-carrying member of Team Messy, it is my privilege to proudly dispel that cliche that cleanliness is next to godliness. Now, I don't care if your mom taught you that or whoever. Uh, man, I get to dispel that and say there's not a lot of truth to that. It sounds good. It sounds like a nice cliche, but it's just, it's not enough. Because if we were to believe that, it opens ourselves up for hypocrisy. And so today, uh, Jacob read, read out of Mark chapter 7, and it's going to teach us that, that God's not just concerned with our outward actions, with us looking clean. God actually wants something deeper. God wants our hearts. So Mark chapter 7, uh, where we're going to be in today, there's a couple of parallel texts, Matthew 15, Luke 11, and we're going to look at Luke 11 a little bit as well. Uh, a couple of the gospel writers tell the same story in a different way. But in, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is having this, this confrontation with this religious leaders of the day. Uh, we've talked about them the last couple of weeks, the Pharisees. These were the, the, the religious leaders of the day. These were the, 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 the highly spiritual people. In fact, in the Christian world or in the, the religious world, these were the popular uh, preachers. These were the people that you'd see on TV. These are the people that, that a lot of people admired. These are the people that, that religious people would look up to and say, man, if I could just be like them. These religious leaders are the people uh, that, that the religious world would say, man, if I could just hang out with them and, and, and be friends with them, like I would have made it. Like I would have had all the status and, and everything else. And so you have in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, you have all these people who are cowering to the religious leaders except for Jesus. Jesus shows up on the scene and he doesn't cower to them. He doesn't seek their approval. In fact, what Jesus continues to do is he continues to confront them. And he starts defying their traditions. He starts saying, like, this is what you say we're supposed to do. And Jesus says, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to defy your traditions. I'm going to break your rules. I'm going to expose the hypocrisy of your beliefs. And all of these outward conflicts that Jesus has with these Pharisees and these religious leaders, that's what's actually going to lead them uh, to deliver Jesus over to Pilate to be crucified because of all these confrontations because Jesus doesn't do what they say they're supposed to do. So uh, Mark chapter 7 verse 1, it says that the religious leader, leaders were gathered with Jesus. Uh, Luke says that they're actually getting ready to eat a meal. Okay? And verse 2 says that when the, when the Pharisees, when they saw that the disciples did not wash their hands before they ate. Now, I know some of you are like, that's gross. It is gross. You should always wash your hands before you eat. But the Pharisees were not concerned about the hygiene of the disciples not washing their hand. They were concerned that the disciples and Jesus refused to obey the traditions, the ritual cleanings that the Pharisees had commanded. All right, because if you look down at verse 5, here's what they say to Jesus. They say, why don't you and your disciples follow our age-old traditions of how you to wash your hands? It has nothing to do with hygiene. It has to do with you're not doing the traditions that we set in place. So they set these traditions that said, hey, when you wash your hands, you have to do it exactly this way. You've got to hold your hands just right. 
You've got to get the water just right on your hands. You've got to sing happy birthday seven times. You have to do a little shake and a little dance. You've got to do this just right for your hands to be clean. I mean, it was, it was this tradition that they added to it. And again, their tradition, it wasn't necessarily for cleansing purposes, sanitary purposes, as it was for spiritual purposes. For the Pharisees, they, they, they had this idea that, that sin and dirtiness and uncleanliness, they thought it spread kind of like uh, a toddler with a, with a cupcake, right? You give that toddler a cupcake and that cupcake ends everywhere and it will blow all throughout the house. That's kind of the way that the Pharisees viewed sin and dirtiness. And so they were terrified that they would be defiled by being around an ungodly person. They were terrified that they would come in contact with any unclean thing, unclean meat, anything forbidden in the Old Testament. And so what they did, because they had this terrifying idea that if we become unclean, is they added all of these rituals. They added all these things and said, listen, for us to be clean, you have to wash your hands a certain way. You've got you've to do this. You can only wear certain clothes. You can only do this and that. And they started adding all these ritual things on top of what God's law actually commanded. So on top of what the Bible said, they said, you have to do all these things, and this is how you be clean. And soon, all of these traditions, they get passed down from generation to generation. And soon, they become the standard where, hey, if you want to be godly, if you want to be clean, you have to do it exactly the way, not that the Bible says, but that the Pharisees and their tradition said. And so you have a bunch of people who are basing their faith on tradition instead of God's word. And these Pharisees, because they had all these standards, these high standards for everybody, they felt superior to everybody else. Man, I'm more godly than you. God loves me more than you because I follow all of these traditions. I follow all of these rules to a T and you don't. So I'm better than you. God loves me more than you. You're worse off than me. And this is the problem when Jesus and the disciples come on the scene. They're like, we're not following your tradition. We're not going to follow your rules. And this created issues for everybody around. The Pharisees are struggling. Hey, you're not doing what we say. Everybody else does what we say. Everybody else wants to be like us. So there's a problem because you're not doing what we say to do. And then all the people around are saying, well, listen, if Jesus and his disciples, if they don't have to do it, neither do I. So created this conflict, created this issue. But you know what's crazy is, it's crazy how church can be similar to those Pharisees, right? It's crazy how we can take extra biblical things, we can take our tradition and make those things ultimate. I mean, tradition oftentimes is, 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 these rules, they're made to, they're made to help us, right? So think of, think of, uh, think of a stool, okay? You got a stool. And on top of the stool, you've got some biblical rule. You've got some, some biblical idea, okay? And so maybe for you, uh, we'll just throw this one out. Maybe the biblical idea is that we're supposed to be a good witness. We're supposed to be a good example of what it means for us to follow Christ, right? And so I actually got saved in a church. And for them to say, for you to be a good example of Christ, these are the things you had to do. You had to go to church. You could only wear your Sunday best. So you had to wear slacks, you had to wear a shirt and a tie, you had to wear a coat. And so for you to be a godly, good person, you had to do that. And you couldn't go to the movie theater. Because if you go to the movie theater, well, who knows what movie you might go see. It might be a very bad movie. 
So you could actually go to the movie theater. And rock music, man, if there's a guitar in the band, there's no, no chance at all. No drum. I mean, no, that's ungodly. There's no way. And so what ends up happening is these are rules that might help you be a better witness. But what happens is those things get perverted. To those things no longer become the things to help you be a good example. They become what it means to be a good example. And it subverts it. Show that next slide there, uh, Cameron. And so now it's no longer the biblical idea that's the seat, that's the big idea. Now it's all of the rules. And this is what church does. This is what religion does. How many of you have been in a church where you have all these rules that you've got to follow in order for you to be a godly person? And it's just like those Pharisees. And the problem is, and here's what I want you to understand this morning, is that God's primary concern, God's primary concern for you is not that you follow the rules. God's God's primary concern is not that you look clean on the outside, that you have your actions reformed. God's primary concern for you is your heart. God's primary desire for you It's not that you just have better actions and you be a better person. God's primary concern is that you would open up your heart to him. That God cares more about who you are on the inside than he does on the outside. And this is what this text is going to show us. Actually, he says in verse 14, Jesus says, I want you to try to understand, verse 15, that uh, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you. But what defiles you comes from your heart. The thing that makes you unclean, the thing that makes you a sinner, is not the things that, 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 that come to you. They're the things that come out of your heart. And what comes out of our heart? Verse 20. It says, it's, the thing, it's, the, it's what's on the inside that defiles you. For within a person's heart comes evil thoughts, and sexual immorality, and theft, and murder, and adultery, and greed, and wickedness, and deceit, and lustful desires, and envy, and slander, and pride, and, and foolishness. It comes out of our heart. The Bible is clear consistently throughout the entire Bible that the heart is the control seat of our life. It's the driver's seat. It, it controls our emotions. It controls our will. And, and what Jesus is saying, listen, it's out of your heart that comes all of this brokenness. And so you can clean up the outside of you, but if you never address your heart, that wickedness is still there. Uh, Luke chapter 11, again, the parallel passage, Jesus kind of simplifies that statement. And he says in verse 38, he says, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness, right? In fact, I remember working at Madison House, we had this volunteer who would come in and say, I'm going to help you clean. Uh, notice the, the parentheses, clean. And so they'd come in and clean, and they'd be like, here's your coffee cup. And they'd clean this coffee cup. And I'm like, all right, then I go to get my coffee, and I look on the outside of the cup, it looks great. On the inside, like there's still stuff growing inside of there. And I'm like, you missed the idea of this. You've cleaned the outside of the cup, so it looks good, but it's the inside where my coffee's gonna touch. And I'm not gonna drink coffee when there's Things with legs growing on inside of there. Like, that's not the kind of coffee I like. And I had, to, I had to show this guy, listen, you've got it all wrong. Just because it looks good on the outside doesn't mean it's clean. And Jesus says, this is what the Pharisees do. And I will say, this is what religion often does. Where we focus on our externals. We focus on trying to look the part of trying to learn how to act and behave in a certain way. 
instead of addressing what God really wants. Our heart. In fact, there's a story in Luke chapter 18 uh, that Jesus tells. There's a rich young ruler. You know, the, some of you know the story. There's a rich young ruler. And he goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, Jesus, what do I have to do to get to heaven? And Jesus says, well, you know all the rules. You know the commandments, right? And he's like, yes, I've done all those things. I'm very religious. I follow all the rules, Jesus. I follow all the rules. And Jesus looks inside of his heart and says, yes, I see. But there's one thing in your heart that you have not let go of. He said, you need to go and sell all of your possessions and give to the poor. And what what happened in that story? That rich young man walked away with his head hung. Because he knew, hey, I can follow the rules. I can look the part. But in his heart, he loved his wealth. In his heart, there was no way that he would let go of that. So he walked away with his head hung in shame. Recognizing, listen, I guess the kingdom of God is not going to be for me today. Listen, God's primary concern is not your actions. God's primary concern is not your externals. It's your heart. God cares more about who you are on the inside than he does what you do on the outside. So Mark 7, Jesus quotes from uh, the prophet Isaiah. He quotes in verse 6. He says, This people, they honor me with their lips, for their hearts are far from me. See, this is where I want us to understand the difference between religion and and true Christianity. Religion can change a person's habits. Religion is we can learn to keep a set of rules. We can, we can learn how to follow the rules kind of like the Pharisees did, and you've got to wash a certain way, and you've got to do these certain things. That's what religion will teach us. It will teach us how to clean the outside of us. But it doesn't go deep enough. True Christianity, true Christianity, it changes our heart. It changes our desires. It changes our affections. In fact, I would look at it, I would say it this way. Maybe the best example I've seen of this. Uh, a couple years ago, I, I was diagnosed with pink eye. I, went to the, I had that pink stuff in my eye, and it was gross, and I had eye boogers all the time. And I go to the doctor, and the doctor's like, all right, here's your prescription. He said, here's what you have to do, Kevin. You have to take it until this entire bottle's gone. I'm like, why? Because what, what, what do we normally do? If you've got pink eye, you take the medicine... For two or three days until everything clears up, right? Right? Come on, doctors. That's what we do, right? We take, we, we take the medicine until things clear up. And oh, look, I don't see any gook in my eye anymore. I guess I'm clean. But the doctor would say, no, you need to keep taking that medicine until it's gone. Because there's still an infection on the inside. You can't see it. It may not manifest itself. But you have to take that medicine until it's gone. So you get rid of the virus on the inside. You have to get rid of the entire thing. Isn't, in many ways, and this is what we do with religion, we change the visible stuff. We change, change our actions so we can look the part. But inside of us, in our heart, we're still infected with sin. Infected with selfishness and rebellion and pride and arrogance. And this is why Jesus says, listen, you're a hypocrite. You can look the part. You can look the part, but you're not genuine. In fact, if you were to say, what's the definition of a, of a hypocrite? A hypocrite is someone who can fool you. A hypocrite is someone who can look the part, who can play the part of, look, I'm a good Christian. But they're not genuine in They're not genuine in that. Their faith is not connected to their heart. And this is one of the dangers of us pursuing religion. This is one of the dangers of us pursuing cleanliness and externals because we become really good at becoming a hypocrite. Right? 
where we can disguise to everybody, look how good I am. In fact, we can even begin to disguise and, and, and fool ourselves. Oh, look at me. I'm not that bad. I mean, think about the religious leaders of that day. Okay? These were the most respected people in their day. Everybody wanted to be like them. Everybody wanted a piece of them. If I could just be friends with them, if I could be right with them, man, I'm set. On the outside, these guys are popular. They're desirable. On the inside, Jesus said, you are full of greed and wickedness. They're hypocrites. They're internally, they're, they're, they're broken. In fact, I think about in our day and age, if we have a uh, 24-7 uh, media news access, and we have these, we, we constantly hearing about these highly successful ministry leaders in our day and age, right? Thinking about Bill Hybels, James McDonald, Thinking about all these big leaders that we know in the Christian world. These are guys that are incredibly gifted. These are guys that are incredibly influential, incredibly respected. Guys that many of us have read their books. We've listened to their talks. We've gone to their conferences. These are highly respected leaders, very big churches. Externally, they have everything we would want. Internally, they're broken. Internally, their heart doesn't match their action. And you see these guys begin to fall. You see them and their secret stuff becoming known. Does that hurt you just a little bit to see that? Does that put a little bit of fear in you? That they're on a grand level. But what about us? Thinking about not just, again, this isn't just big pastors as this happens to. There's less sensationalized. There's people just like you and I. In fact, I've got a a, a pastor friend, a man, a, a man I love, incredibly gifted, a, a great leader. I wish in many ways I could be like him. On the outside, this guy is highly respected. He's valued. He's sought after. Everybody loves him. But you start looking behind the scenes, man, there's some disconnects going on. There's some brokenness, some things that aren't right. And what he's doing, he's building a house out of cards. He's building a house out of cards. And someday, the house is going to come tumbling down. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to think about that happening. It breaks my heart thinking about some of us in this room, how we get so good at looking the part. Look at me, I'm a good Christian. I do this. I, I don't smoke. I don't chew. I don't go with girls who do. And God's not saying, listen, I, that's not what I'm wanting from you. I'm wanting you to give me your heart. Every part of you. I want you, to give you, want you to give me access to every part of you that I can speak in every part of you. But we don't. We hold on to this part of us and say, well, I'll just look the part. And we're building a house out of cards. And it might not be as big of a fall as James McDonald or Bill Hybels. But it's going to come tumbling down. It's devastating. It's devastating for individuals. It's devastating for families. It's devastating for churches. And my fear, my fear is that our externals, my externals can become so good that I begin to feel good about myself and I fail to see the reality of where my heart is. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is desperately wicked. Our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can know it? And my fear is that we become so Convinced that we are, are, look how good we are. 
Look how good our externals are. Look, everybody loves me. I'm such a good leader. I'm so gifted. I have all these things going for me. But we begin not just to fool other people. We begin to fool ourselves. Look how good I am. Look what I have to offer. I mean, I might have some of these issues underneath the surface. I may have some areas I haven't let go of. But, you know, my actions, they're better than this person. I'm accomplishing more than that person. I'm not cheating on my spouse like that person. We become so good at justifying ourselves. So good at saying, you know what, I'm I'm better than them, so I guess I'm good. And we continue to close this off. Continue to say, yeah, God, my externals look good. Everybody thinks I'm happy. Where on the inside, things are falling apart. Listen, you and I, we might be able to fool other people. We might be able to fool the church. Walk into church, put a smile on our face. Everything's good. Really? How's, how's your marriage? Oh, my, everything's great. We might be able to fool other people. We might be able to fool ourselves. But there's one person you can never fool, and that is God himself. He sees right through you. Just like he sees right through the Pharisees. In fact, that's what Jesus does. He says, you're a hypocrite. He sees right through their external actions. He sees right through their, the, the good facade they put on. He sees right through them and calls them hypocrites. He says, listen, in your heart, I see that greed. I see that wickedness. 1 Samuel 16, 7. I love this verse. It says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. I hope that would put the fear of God in us here today. That we can walk in and smile. We can walk in and do all these good works. We can walk in and have all these great things happening around us. We can know all the Sunday school answers. We can put the best pictures on social media. We can, we can put our best foot forward. We can always be smiling and still never change the sinful condition of our heart. And that's what God sees. He looks right past all of our good cleanliness on the outside. He looks right past that and looks into our heart and sees that deceit and sees that sin. Again, this is where we have to understand God is not just concerned about our externals. God is concerned about our heart. He cares more about who we are becoming than what we do. And I look at this text and it's almost kind of like, Jesus, you sound really harsh to these, these Pharisees, right? Jesus, you're calling them hypocrites. You're saying, listen, you're, you, you wash the outside of the cup, but inwardly you're, you're, you're full of greed and wickedness and, and deceit and all this dirty stuff. But I don't think God's intention is to come across harsh in this text. I think God's intention is grace. In fact, John chapter 3, verse 17, which is the brother to the famous verse everybody knows, John three sixteen. John 3, 17 says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn them, but that the world might be saved through him. I think when Jesus comes alongside and sees these Pharisees, and sees right inside their heart, he sees that greed and that wickedness. I think his intent in confronting them is to point them to the truth so that, could, so that they could be genuinely changed from the inside out. I think he, he wants to confront them with the truth, with the reality of where they are, so that they could be confronted and they could repent. And they could turn. In fact, in fact, uh, flip over a couple pages if you have your Bible open to Luke chapter 11. Uh, this is the other parallel story. Uh, 
Because you see, you'll begin to see a little bit of the hope that, that Jesus has for these people. Even though their external religious cleanliness doesn't produce any internal godliness, God has provided a way for them to, to, to work on the heart. Verse 41 of chapter, uh, Luke chapter 11. Jesus says, but give, alms, but give his alms those things that are within. It's a little bit of a difficult verse to understand, but what Jesus is saying is he's urging them to offer God something from the inside, not just the outside. I mean, giving alms is the example of going to the offering basket and making sure everybody sees, hey, look, I'm going to put some money in the offering basket, and I want everybody to see it. And what Jesus just said is instead of doing that, give alms from something on the inside. Jesus is saying, listen, don't be like that young rich ruler who can follow all the rules externally. He's urging these Pharisees to do something that a rich young ruler couldn't do. To offer God something inside of himself. And what Jesus is urging them, he's urging them, hey, would you offer your heart to God? Would you offer your, your heart to God, your whole heart to God? Not just your external actions. Would you offer all of who you are on the inside? This is what the gospel calls from, for anyone who would receive it. If you would receive the gospel, the message that Jesus died in your place, this is what God asks for. He asks for our heart. That we would give God our heart. That we would open ourselves up to him. And allow him to deal with us from the inside out. In fact, Ezekiel chapter uh, 36, this is a promise of God, and it's beautiful. Jesus, or God's, God's word says that a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, that I will take away the heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. That's what God promises. If we would open ourselves up to him, he says, listen, I would give you a new heart. I would, I would take out that heart of stone. I would take out that heart of greed and wickedness and selfishness and pride and dirt. And I would give you a new heart, a heart of flesh. This is what happens in the work of salvation. That when we place our faith in Jesus as our Savior, when we open our hearts up to him, that his spirit would become alive in us and that it would change us from the inside out. This is good news. And this is what Jesus is trying to proclaim to those Pharisees. If you would just listen. Just listen, guys, and give alms from the things that are on the inside. In fact, he takes that further. And I think this is a clincher. This is what makes this so beautiful. Again, these Pharisees, they are constantly washing themselves. They're, they're, they're fearing defilement. They're fearing the pollution from the world around them. So they have all this pressure to follow all the rules. To make sure their life looks just right. To make sure everything is just in order. So everybody says, yeah, look how good and righteous they are. There's a pressure that goes along with that. There's a weight that goes from looking the part. But look what Jesus said in verse 41. He says, if you would simply give God your heart within you. You'd let him do his work within you. He says, behold, all things are clean to you. All things are clean to you. That means there's no longer a pressure to perform. There's no longer a pressure to achieve. There's no longer a pressure to keep up. There's no longer the weight of trying to keep all the rules. Because now all things are clean to you. That there is freedom. That there is, is peace found of having your heart right before God. Your heart right before Him. Of opening yourselves up and say, God, this is all I've got. I'm giving it to you. 
Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, Therefore, being justified by our rules, being justified by being good enough, being justified by externally following all the rules and looking the good part of the good Christian, being justified by other people thinking that we're good people. No, that's not what it says. It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It comes from being justified by faith, not justified by our actions, not justified by looking the part, by obeying all the rules. Listen, if your faith is exhausting, if you find following Jesus to be this this difficult, uh, burdensome thing, listen, maybe God's desire for you is that you understand it from a different perspective. Where God's desire isn't for you to have a bunch of rules to follow. God's desire is that you'd open up your heart and let him in. And let him change you. Let him change your affections. Let him change your desires. Let him change the way you think. Let let him change the way you process things. Because it changes everything. Where no longer does, does, does faith become this burden. Now faith becomes a blessing. And your life becomes transformed. Listen, this is where I want you to hear. That God is more concerned with who you are and who you are becoming than what you do. You've got to hear this today. God is more concerned with who you are and who you are becoming than what you do. He wants your heart. He doesn't want just your actions. Let me close by a little bit of a story on Mother's Day. A story from my mom. High school, when I was in high school, it was just me and my mom. Uh, all the other kids were gone, and it was just me and her. Uh, we, we had a pretty good relationship, and I had a, normally I had a 12 o'clock curfew. And so there was one night, I, it was Friday night or Saturday, I don't know whatever night it was, and it was like 11 o'clock, mom's already in bed, I'm home, and I'm like, oh, this is fine, you know, whatever. And then, I, again, this is a few years ago, so for you young people, I had to go on, on dial-up internet, okay? So you had to ring in on your phone to ring into AOL and get AOL to answer you. And then I, I did this thing called instant messaging. I am AOL instant messenger, right? How many of you remember that? So AOL instant messenger with my friend, what's up? And they're like, hey, we'd love to do a McDonald's run. And I'm like, man, it's 11 o'clock. We got time. And so I was like, well, mom's asleep. I don't want to wake her up. I have a 12 o'clock curfew. So I did what any other bright teenager would do, right? Open up my window, climb through. Went around to the front of the house, got in my car, drove off to McDonald's, came back, and it was only like 11.45. It was still before my curfew. And I parked the car, I sneak around the back of the house, I go to get in my window, and the window's shut. (laughs) I'm like, well, I'll try the back door. I left the back door unlocked. Back door, locked. So I walked with my tail between my legs, walked back to the front of the house. Front door's open, mom's sitting right there. You know the look, right? The mom look. I can't even do the mom look. I've seen it long enough, and I still cannot do the mom look. It's terrible, right? You know, it's funny how moms always find out. It's funny how we think we get away with things, and moms always seem to find out. Mom always finds out. I want my kids to hear that. Like, mom will always find out. Don't miss that. (laughs) It's the same way with God. God will always find out. 
You can play the religion game. You can, you can clean up the outside. You can get yourself looking all pretty. You can look like the perfect Christian that has all the externals just right. And if that's your focus, you are building a house of cards. And eventually, the truth is going to come out. And it's going to all come tumbling down. That's not what God wants. And that's not what I want, that's not what I want for you. I mean, God has put us together at Restoration Church. I love this place. I love you people. It is a privilege to serve alongside you. My fear is that you and I become externally focused. That we get really good at looking the part of Christian, of having all the actions right, of looking the part but our hearts are not there. That we're still holding on to parts of our heart to say, God, I'll I'll follow your rules. But this little bit inside of me, my money, this little bit inside of me, the videos I watch on my phone, this little bit inside of me, my anger, this little bit inside of me, my bitterness, this little bit inside of me, my prejudice. God, you can have all of this and I'll follow your rules, but I'm going to hold on to this inside my heart because it's mine. And you can't have it, God. You're not going to change me. Listen, it doesn't matter if you follow all the rules. God doesn't care about that. Godliness comes from your heart, not your actions. Godliness comes from our hearts, not our actions. There's nothing I want you to know more than that. Is that your, your, your relationship with God, it doesn't matter your actions, it matters your heart. That's what God wants. And as I look at Restoration Church, listen, I hope that's the message you get from us week in and week out. Not just that there's a bunch of rules you got to follow. Not just that there's all these things you have to add to your list to do this week. But that you would hear us say week in and week out, listen, you need to open your heart to God. So I'm not asking you this morning to be a better person. I'm not asking you to, to look good on the outside. I'm not asking you to follow a bunch of rules. I'm asking you to give alms from the things that are within. I'm asking you to give your heart to God. Not this lovey-dovey, mushy, I give you my heart, ah," country song sort of thing. I'm asking you to give God the center, the control center of your life. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. I'm asking you to give that to God. Allow God into your heart, full access. Allow God control over your relationships. Allow God control over your mouth. Allow God control over your entertainment. Allow God control over your workplace and how you work. Allow God control over every area of your life. And watch as God begins to redeem you from the inside out. That he gives you a new heart. That he he gives you a new spirit. That you begin to follow God, not just to to look the part, not just to make other people think that you're good, not just to try and make God think you're good, but you would actually uh, follow God from the natural outflow of your relationship. That when you have a personal relationship with God, that you have new desires, you have new affections, you have new passions. And now you're not following God to try and make Him happy. You're You're not trying to appease God to satisfy Him, but now you are doing it because that is what God has written inside your heart. Because you have new desires, new affections. 
Listen, this is what genuine Christianity is all about. This is why Restoration Church exists. Not just so that you would become a good person. Not just so that you would get a little bit of God's blessing in your life. But that you would become a new creation. That your heart would be redeemed. How do you do that? How do you give your heart to God? I've got one word, it's surrender. It's a daily surrender. It's a moment by moment surrender. God, here's what I want, but God, here's me surrendering to you. God, here's the way I feel about this situation, but God, I'm going to surrender it to you. God, I'm going to open myself up and say, God, would you speak to me today? God, would you redeem some broken things in me? That could be painful. It could be scary to let go, to surrender. Jesus, take the wheel. Is that the song? It's surrender. Give your heart to God as every day to surrender, to say, God, whatever you want for me, whatever you want to redeem, whatever you want to change, my money, my relationships, my attitude, my anger. This is a message I want you to hear from Restoration Church. Godliness doesn't come from looking good on the outside. Godliness comes from our hearts. Would you pray with me?